Lord, we are gathered here in this morning. We are feeling already through yesterday and today, Lord, the, the very special anointing that has been gifted to us as, as a, a faithful gathering of this week. We've taken time out of our lives to and spend and invest in our spiritual needs and necessities. Father, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be stretched and challenged. And Father, that we would have the boldness and the humility to look into the mirror to see us as who we really are. And Lord, we pray that on this very topic that you would be able to guide us and teach us, you alone, because Lord, we are all unworthy. We are all uh, Father, struggling with areas uh, that deal with uh, being employed in the in the gift of peace, in the in the commandment of peace, and in the desire of peace in our lives. And many times we find things challenging, and we don't understand, and we're overwhelmed. And yes, Father, we realize, looking back, we we can see our points of our own negligence as well. And so, Lord, we pray that this would be an hour that would be dedicated unto thy honor and glory and unto our edification and our spiritual well-being, for which we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, In this morning hour, I'd like to start by really uh, asking a question. Is there anyone in the audience who's never had a, a conflict with someone else? In their lives. If you want to raise your hands, be careful. There will be those that looking at you if you answer. And by the same token, is there anyone here who has um, really a perfect record in conflict resolution? I can assure you I'm not one of those. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would really prefer to be in the seat in the audience to listen to someone else uh, talk about this area uh, of our lives as, as believers uh, particularly, uh, this is an area that we kind of put things in the closet sometimes. Uh, this is an area. This is an area that we uh, naturally come to. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've never met someone who has simply been born with the skills and the wherewithal to be um, really good at this. Um, our Lord uh, Himself took it upon Himself to teach on this because. He knew very well, being in flesh and blood, he knew of the, of the things that, that are invariably going to come your way and come my way in this life, regardless of how guarded, regardless of how immune we try to make ourselves to be, uh, we're going to have bumps in the road uh, in life. Uh, we can read scripture, we could see that that was present among the disciples, the Apostle Paul himself was not a stranger to dealing with this in his time. Um, and for me, it's been a long time. Um, it's been a puzzler. I always wondered, you know, why would something that is so carnal, why is something that is so um, really destructive be, um, be something that we struggle with and that it has actually... Um, it has some bearing in our lives. How does it enter into our lives? How does it stay in our lives as long as it does? You know, the Bible talks about, you know, a time frame on dealing with our differences with one another. And, 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 and the Bible says clearly, don't let the sun go down on your differences, on your quarrels. 
and so forth. Well, we realize that, well, there are many sundowns that have gone by in people's lives. Many months and years and decades and generations. Some of these unresolved conflicts can actually take on a hand-me-down from one generation to the next. And I hope and pray that no, no one here uh, experiences that because it truly is something that is enormous and a huge problem. And to think that it has a starting point in Christian circles is really amazing. It, it tells us just how bold and how nasty Satan is in trying to wedge and destroy relationships, relationships with one another, and how our relationships go, loved ones, is the same way our relationship will go with Jesus. I have yet to meet a person who's got it right with him and has it wrong with others and continues on. The Bible talks about that if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If there are any attorneys out there, uh, I'm sure they would look at this and they would score this in a particular way that uh, they would levy advice and justifications. There would be statutes of limits. There would be all kinds of things that would dress this up that you can go and perhaps a la carte your way to resolving something that you want to walk away from. And we live in a time in a society where there's something that happens, uh, people just want to move on. They just want to move on with the least amount of collateral damage, preferably if they don't have to take any blame or even say, I'm sorry. They just want to be able to move on. This isn't really what it says here. Uh, Apostle Peter, as a disciple, asked Jesus, how often am I going to you know, forgive my brother? Seven times? You know, give me a legal standard. Give me something that I could point to and say, okay, this, this now represents the, the quota, the, the full satisfaction for my part in dealing with you. And Jesus said, no, 70 times 7. I wonder how that felt. You know, how does it feel when you, when you throw out something of an offer as grandiose as seven times and come back and find out that that was just chump change in comparison to where your heart and my heart needs to be? Um, where do conflicts come from? Can we, can we basically uh, pinpoint it? That would be good. If we can kind of really get that root cause, perhaps we can, you know, we can do so much better with it. Perhaps we ourselves can prevent it. And also, and I'm sure the majority of the interest in attendance today is, what about those that are on the receiving end? Well, first and foremost, um, conflict starts in the heart. 
all conflicts have a beginning point in the heart of man. You're no different than myself. Whether you start it, whether you receive it, whether you lodge back a return, it's a heart matter. And, and conflicts are a very slippery slope. There's some people that ignore them. They, they're in denial. And certainly that isn't going to, to solve anything. But once a conflict migrates from a beginning point in the heart into some action, you got to deal with it. And, you know, we're, we're assembled here in a science center, but conflict resolution isn't a science. It's, it's really, I could call it an art, but it is really a matter of faith and godliness. The world has a lot of invested in, in trying to uh, apply principles uh, to conflict resolution. And, and there are many companies today that are dealing with just an escalated level of conflict within their own organizations, both within and abroad from dealing with their external members. We live in a world that is in a high demand. We live in a world that has high expectations and very little time to really secure and safeguard that, which means that conflicts, that the world is a breeding ground for conflicts. And there's no way, shape, or form that you and I are going to be able to, to, to remove ourselves or to statistically somehow alter that. It's going to be what it's going to be. How do we... How do we survive? How do we keep our faith, our love for the Lord, and our outlook intact? Well, we simply need to know that all conflicts are resolvable. And you can say, well, David, I, you know, I have this long-running thing. I've tried everything I can do. And I can't do his or her part. I can only do mine. See, God doesn't look at success and resolution on the basis strictly in results. He looks at on the basis of what you have done in light of his word. Satan knows that. He wants to be able to uh, use the, the perils of conflict, the cost of conflict, the ugliness of conflict, and he wants to use that as a means to destroy us or to at least lessen our, our commitment to him, our respect and regard for his word, the relevancy that the Bible has in relation to all the details of our lives. Conflict is there as a thief to discredit the things that Jesus has taught us and asked us to support and uphold. I'm here to tell you that... Um, my batting average in conflict resolution is not all-star. It's not because I didn't try or don't try. But I realize if there are, if there are any areas of life that can, I can look at and, and help me see how small I am, it's in this area. Conflicts can be very overwhelming. Um, they can actually take over your life. They can take over a life of a family. Conflicts in the church can take on and take over a church and change the dynamics and therefore change and influence many people. Where does it come from? 
Yes, we can say that the father of lies, which is Satan, has really become accomplished in interjecting conflicts in people's lives. But remember, we said that all conflicts start in our heart. I believe that unmet expectations is a huge launch pad for human conflict. All of us here, within our own recesses of our hearts, we have expectations um, of ourselves. Regardless of what age, we ha- what age group we're representing here, um, you, you, have, you have expectations. Um, that's who we are as humans. There's no, get, there's no escaping it. There's no point of denying it. Um, we, we all have expectations. We have a, an expectation start out with a desire. If you want to look at conflicts, let's look at what things are we, what are we desiring in our lives? Are they something that God would desire for you and for me? If they are, that's good. So far, we're in a conflict-free zone. But if we have a desire in our heart that isn't in, in keeping with God, what God desires for you and for me in our lives, now we have planted a seed that will be tomorrow's conflict. With our desires, as they grow, they become demands. And how we exercise our demands is going to also now uh, speak to the issue in the direction of where where conflicts may may come to. These are sort of like the clouds that are forming that one day may be that funnel cloud. How we go about with exercising the things, the demands for our desires. And then when those aren't met, we get into a judgment mode. We're judging others. We're blaming others. We're finding reasons why I don't have what I want. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not the person that I should be. And you're the reason why. And from there, we escalate to punishment. Punishing others, ultimately, for unmet expectations. Now realize that isn't exclusively the reason why there are conflicts. Jesus talks about offenses. He talks about people that sin against you. And we can't control what someone is going to do to us on the basis of what's in their heart. But to understand, and why is it important for us to kind of take time out and and understand what would be the bigger picture? Because we're going to have to come to terms with that. Uh, We're going to have to, like it or not, you know, when someone puts a siege onto you by way of of offense or, or, or has it out for you or is plotting against you or is looking to see your demise, whatever you want to call it. You're engaged. You can't just walk away. It'd be nice. And maybe you can move away another, to another continent and perhaps the problem's over. I don't know. But that, for most of us, that's not a very practical choice. So what do we do? We have to go beyond what's going on. You know, there's the old adage, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do as a result. 
In other words, the circumstance is not one that should justify now you getting in the same uh, routine of fighting back. It's a test of faith. It's a huge test of faith. If, there are any, if, if there's anybody out there who's wondering where, where my next test of faith is going to be, how is God going to purify me? How is he going to uh, assess me? How is he going to do his godly thing that he has done with the children of Israel, with individuals, and so forth and so on? Uh, conflicts are going to be a surefire way of testing your faith and mine. Are we going to allow what happens to us, what is said about us, to define who we are and who we're going to be next. Be prepared for unreasonable people. Chances are, you know, and, and that's why Jesus really took the three steps that he, that he outlined in his teaching because hopefully... The incident was something that is strictly a function of our human frailty. You know, I am fraught with weaknesses and, and, and the ability to make my assumptions um, rub you the wrong way. It's the furthest thing from my mind, desire, and intent. And if you come to me or if I come to you and I share with you a, a heavy heart, a hurt heart, but a heart that loves you, and wants to have a, 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 a reconciliation, and wants to have really even a better relationship than before, that usually takes care of a lot of stuff. I mean, that happens all the time in relationships, and the, the people that you love the most and you're the closest with. And that's, that, that's a practicality, and that's a realization that Christ himself saw. As a necessity. Why, loved ones, do we emphasize at wedding sermons so many times, you know, it's important to say I love you, but really to make I love you count, I'm sorry, is really what underwrites I love you. And in Matthew 18, when we go to that person and we show them how much we love them, comma, how much we're hurt, in that order, we're going to get results. But if we approach them on the basis of flipping that around, how much we're hurt, and it's in question whether or not we love them, I think we have perhaps an opportunity for a problem. And how many times... How many times do we take Matthew 18 and we go about it by telling everybody else and not the person that's entitled to hear it first? Is that going to do much for a conflict resolution? Is that going to do much for the credibility of, of gaining a brother, a sister, a husband or wife, a son or a daughter? A neighbor. You know, to me, Matthew 18 isn't just for those that are in the church. I think it can apply beyond that. In its character form, in its, in its integrity, in its transparency, and so forth. It's wisdom that is not always used. 
And perhaps as we get some time of reflection, I'd like to open up for others to talk about this because I, we really want to hear what you have to say on this. Why, why is it we get it wrong so many times and expect to have the results as if we did it the way Jesus said we should? Breaching his teaching puts it at a high-risk mode. And I'm telling you, high risk. There are untold consequences in going about dealing with offenses and conflicts other than the way Jesus asked us to do it. We read in Romans, as we read the verse, as much as lieth in you. You know, the Bible wants a win-win from something that has initially a lose-lose. Not everybody understands that. Sometimes the losers think they win and the winners think they're losing if they do it the way the Bible says. But the world talks about win-win, right? They, they, you know, are we going to say that corporate America is something we can learn from corporate America today? I'm not trying to make that connection. But Jesus said about the children of the world at times, look at, look at their, look how smart they are. They make a point. Sometimes, sometimes we don't see the points that we need to see. What are some of the things that you can control? You can control how you react. You can control how, um, what choices you make. Wise choices are better than my way choices, I read recently. That's so true. The temptation to go now as, as a victim, uh, there's a fine line between being a victim and a retaliator. And I have to say that in a, in a mediated form, um, it can go very quickly where you can't tell anymore who the victim is. And that's, that's really a problem. Mediating opposing parties is not an enviable task. And those of you who are teachers or ministers and elders, I think you know what I'm talking about. How would you like to make the experience where you open the word of God and you hear two sides of each, each account and whatever is concluded upon based on the word of God and in the presence of God, you have two dissatisfied parties. The only thing you can determine for sure is that the word of God remained true while those that heard it were not true to it. And that's an everyday reality sometimes. Because the victim can quickly come back as someone who retaliates. And now you have intermittent lobs of who's doing what to whom. Does this sound familiar to any of you? Can you look back at your own relationships at times and, and maybe look at this and pause and consider? As I was walking through uh, to here... 
uh, happened to walk with Brother Bob Freund, and you know, he shared with me, and this is a brother who's, who's been in the trenches for many years, as we know, and we're very thankful to have him still here. He's a walking book of wisdom, of experience, but we all carry regret. We all carry with us, loved ones, things that we can't redo. We can't go back in the past, and we may have spoken the, the truth as truth to someone, but it's how we spoke to them that really put more fuel to the fire than extinguished it, even though the truth was there. And these are lessons we learn. And perhaps that's why we struggle with Matthew 18. And I'm not here to be negative. I'm not here to be um, woe is us. But I'm here to challenge us, starting with myself, that Jesus gave us a very effective tool. He gave us something that is, what is a closed system. It doesn't have to be improved upon. It doesn't have to be tweaked. It doesn't have to be re-engineered oh, every hundred years or so. What worked in, in the time of his day around the circle of his disciples who were wondering who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 2,000 years later, in 2013, we have the same spirit of remedy for our conflicts. One of the things I want to encourage us with is that conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to go a completely different direction. If we dwell on the details, we can dwell on the, on the, on the hurt, but it's also an opportunity to go elsewhere. And there's a great example in the life of Joseph. We all know the story. I mean, there are a lot of things that can happen that are very traumatic in a sibling relationship with conflicts, jealousy. I don't know of a family sibling event that... Uh, rivals this as being worse than what happened to young Joseph. I mean, in today's terms, he was, you know, someone who can look back in his life and accuse and accuse and accuse and justify for all the things he was doing wrong and go back to that event that day when his brothers basically threw him away. But he didn't because his heart was set on something much different. Is there anyone here that's hurting? Someone has hurt you or some people have hurt you so bad that you just can't climb over that wall? You need to look in your heart. Look past the hurt. Look past how much you didn't deserve this. Because most of the times, most of the things, that the, the, the highest... Uh, Areas of our life is by way of difficulty or crisis in, in personal offenses and so forth have to deal with things that come out of the blue. Sometimes you just, they just come at you at a time where you least expect it from perhaps someone you least expect it. Therefore, all the hurt and the pain. But your heart is much larger than that. Our hearts were not made to hold on to hurt or to keep a scoreboard and make sure that we've got everything recorded as to what's happened to us. Because in essence, you're giving your life away. 
Had Joseph not grown to the man he became, he would have done worse to himself than his brothers did to him in the first place. And when he met his brothers, what did he say to them? He embraced them. He said, what you did to me was really something that was a part of a greater thing, that you can live. He looked upon that incident as something that was made into really a miracle. We, we're in a society where we're actually bombarded with victimization. We're bombarded with the fact that being a Christian and forgiving is uh, essentially to forfeiting your rights. You're a weak person. You're not one that fights for your own rights. You're not, you don't have the skill set to be cunning and to overcome this and so forth. There are many things that just bombard us that leave us in a state of vulnerability. But we need to be close to the word of God. And we need to look at our Lord as the model in how we conduct these areas of our lives. Um, I want to move on to the discussion of what do I do? First of all, we want to control our tongue. We want to be able to measure what we say. We need to seek godly advisors. One of the worst things to do when when you're dealing with perhaps an onslaught of negativity and hurt from others is to take it all in yourself. Putting on a front that nothing's wrong. No, something is wrong. And for the moment, probably everything is wrong. You need to go and you need to seek godly advisors. It's not going around and gossiping or trying to recruit people to support. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about people that are godly, who are going to only speak in the fear and for the in the fear of God and for God and with God. You need to keep doing what's right. And this is the world, this is the part that the world will call you weak and foolish. And God forbid there are those that are Christians that would come to your aid by telling you how you should fight back or how you should do things other than that. You have to be careful of those that that give you advice because. Sometimes, maybe too many times, there are people who are going to give you advice that's going to create more of a problem than you already have. You have to recognize your own limits. I know that um, in my life, I've learned not to so eagerly say, I can handle that. Because you can't. And knowing your limits 
is being very wise. And probably the most underrated and least used tactic is the ultimate weapon, deliberate, focused love. We look to one person only that showed us that, and that was Jesus. If you think about conflicts, think about the time when he was in front of Pilate. Think about the time that led to, to his crucifixion. Think about the times in, in, in with Peter denying him. I don't, I don't want to preach that way, but I, I want us to raise the bar on who we look to and what we look at. Because so much of our reaction is impulsive, it's emotional. There are times, too many times, when we don't allow us to take in Christ's perspective on my problem. Finally, before we start perhaps going to the audience as well, we also have to make choices. We have to make choices. We have to know that forgiveness is not a feeling. Oftentimes, we, we render forgiveness on, on an emotional plane. And in many ways, that's, that's, that's unpredictable. And it's, 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 it, it creates really almost a very austere opportunity to actually achieve it. I know God forgave me. I know he forgives you. I can only assume how he feels like when he does. But I know that that is something that he has given in the form of his word and his promise. But for me to take a debt that was relinquished for me and now forgive others on the basis of how it feels, I think is less than what the word of God would have me to do. Yes, what I'm trying to say is sometimes forgiveness is going to hurt. And brothers and sisters... Speaking to us as, as those that others look upon, you know, we're going to be an open book to our children, to our family, to our church, to our neighbors. People are going to know us. We're going to have a legacy, whether we know it or not, as to whether we were really hard when it comes to forgiving or whether you and I were freely bent on forgiving. And if it's on the basis of how it feels, loved ones, we're not going to forgive as much, as often, and anywhere near enough as the Lord has provided us opportunity to forgive. If it's based on how I feel. How many times have you been on the receiving end of that? How many times in your life have you earnestly sought the forgiveness of someone and they just didn't feel like it? 
you reach the point where there's nothing more you can do. I've done everything I could. If it was a matter of restoration, here it is. And that it, they just weren't feeling it. That is the key to long-term chronic conflict. In fact, that's really, I think, a sinful place. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice that you and I need help in. But we can get it. And from who? The one who authored forgiveness. Think about how effective you can be if you come before the Lord in prayer and say with specifics, Lord, I have a problem forgiving so-and-so. There's a, there's a hole in my heart or there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, a wound that simply isn't going away easily. But I realize I need your help because it's more important that you see me forgiving them than maybe they do. If more people did that, there will be more independence days. Because you want to be released from prison of life? Holding on to hurt makes Alcatraz seem like a kiddie park. Holding on to hurt is voluntary incarceration. It's surrendering perhaps the best part of your heart. And that's what? A heart that's in peace. How good are we going to be as fathers and husbands and, and teachers and, and members in the body of Christ if there's a part of us that is retained because of, of hurt? Something that just lingers there. And it just it pops up. It may go dormant a little bit, but it comes right back. It comes back in inopportune times. It's, it's a knife pain that is going to be there, but you don't know when it's coming because you can't see it reflect the light of the moon or anything. It just comes at the most inopportune time at times. Like a baptism, a wedding, a funeral, a moment that you really want to be so free. You want to be free every day. But then it is particularly hurtful when you are tugged and you find that this unresolved conflict is here. Being free comes only through the Lord. I urge you, brother and sister and friend alike, as you leave this camp, think about the things that you heard throughout the week. It's part of your identity, part of who we are. Part of who we are is we struggle with what is taught in Matthew 18. That's part of the answer when someone says, who are you? I struggle with that. I shouldn't. 
We all gave our testimonies, and you know, none of us would be a member of the church if we had an issue with that, right? But why is it okay to have an issue with that down the road? And I realize it's not part of, it's not a glamorous topic. It's not a topic that inspires per se, but it's a topic that we have to deal with. It's the elephant in the room. Too many times. In our ultimate relationship with Christ, our ultimate relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in the church, our ultimate effectiveness in, in personal ministry is all going to have a part of how much of a peacemaker we really devote our lives to be. The Bible says the peacemakers shall be called the children of God. How does it feel to be called a child of God? It feels good. It feels safe. It feels um, loved. It feels provided for. It feels like we're part of a family, that we have a father who loves us and cares for us. We have a brother who intercedes for us in Jesus Christ. But our part in this family is to be a peacemaker, is to spend our lives making peace. If peace is dependent upon what you do next, then you must do everything possible. If peace is dependent on what somebody else would do next, you're not responsible. They are. Because God doesn't look at the total results in the manner that sometimes we do. But woe unto me. Woe unto you if it depends on me. And I can be the difference maker. When I'm not worried about who's the winner... And who's the loser? When I'm looking at who's the difference maker, that's what I'm responsible for. And if God has shown you and has given you insight that you can make a difference in this situation and you don't, what do you think that's going to do? In the end, it's not who's right. It's what's right. And that is the glue in peacemaking. What I'd like to do is perhaps those of you who feel um, like to make some comments, um, please feel free. Um, we really would like to have an interactive element here too. Um, I think we need to enrich ourselves with this as much as we can. Um, feel free. I don't know if there's a mic, I'll repeat what I hear so everyone can hear. But let's hear some thoughts about conflict resolution. Do's or don'ts. Yes. Everybody hear that? Reference is made to even the way we pray in our prayer, in the Lord's Prayer. It talks about really a, a condition 
of, you know, being forgiven. We're asking that we are, for, you know, being forgiven in the manner that we forget those who trespass against us. Do we really realize what we're saying? If we don't have a complete uh, commitment to that. I mean, let's be honest. Everyone wants to be forgiven. When, I mean, this is such a, a, a critical need in our life. Maybe there are those that haven't reached that point, but you will. But once there's a realization of the basis of why we need to be forgiven, we want, we need to be forgiven. But we don't realize, we don't experience that same rush always in the part of rendering forgiveness. Why is that? Conflict that comes from doctrinal issues. We like to not have that escalate to conflict, number one. Uh, but you're saying once it does. Um, there, there are things that uh, um, really are necessary uh, in particular in that kind of form. First of all, uh, the Bible talks about the principle of submission. And the ultimate submission is to our Lord and to the Word of God. Uh, there's the, the, uh, the whole advent of relying upon the Holy Spirit. And sometimes um, I've been ex- experienced where there are, there are conflicts that come right at, rise out of conviction. You know, someone takes a, a conviction and, and they lead with that, and that's, that's who they are, that's what they believe, and that's what they superimpose on the very topic there. And that may differ from equally other convictions and so forth. Uh, it takes a lot of prayer, it takes a lot of humility, and it takes things other than just add water, or these are the seven steps. What I'm trying to say is it's not a procedural thing in that way. What has to take place when when the answers not are not as obvious? That's the realization to us in the circle of conflict. That's the realization that we all need the Lord, and we all need to dig deeper. We ought to need to review our hearts before Him and allow the Holy Spirit to resolve that. And we need to have a faith that He will do that. But if we come in with preconceived notions, as so many, you know, what did I say earlier? Most of our conflicts are on the part of unmet expectations. I have an expectation that if I believe a certain way over time or at the end of this session, I'm going to convince you of the same thing. And if there's a failure to that, that's where we have perhaps a conflict that could grow in how we treat one another, how we, uh, we need to be respectful of one another. We need to have listening skills. Uh, we're... We, we learn to, to speak, and we put an emphasis on communication that has to do with speaking, right? But listening is always something that is uh, found, out to be, found out later, sometimes much too later, as, as a very rightful thing to, to, you know, come, to come to master. We need to listen more. We need to speak less, listen more, pray more, and love more. And from that, if we take opposing views, I think the Lord is going to be able to work with that and they're not going to be as opposing, ultimately, as they were in the beginning. Um, 
takes some patience. I realize that may not be an answer that is cut and dry, but it, what I'm speaking to is about a condensed thing about life, that we all are at a point in time in our lives, and we have convictions. Some convictions will stay true to our lives to the day we die. There are things that we evolve and grow and mature in, and those are the things to understand and help one another with. And that's why we need, it's why, as I said earlier, we need to seek godly people around us as part of, part of our experience, part of our conflict resolution. I'm not always best served with my friends and people I know best. Sometimes strangers and people who, who've, who've walked the miles in faith have a lot to add, and that perspective is very important. And in the past, when I've omitted that, I've regret, regretted it, where I've been recipient of that, I've benefited from that. But it's not just Ed Water. And uh, it's, it's something that is part of our Christian walk. It can be frustrating uh, at times. I'm not going to deny that. But it's also a time where we, we have to then go back to the basics and we have to examine our heart. I think those are the things that the Lord wants us to do on the pathway of finding out who's right. Yes. Point on forgiveness. I've heard the cliche, question, how do you know you're forgiven someone? I've heard some people say, well, you forgive and forget. I struggle with that because, you know, the Lord gave me a memory. Right. I can't, I can't wait. But the Lord did show me something that's been really, really helpful. And that is, if you say in your heart, yeah, Lord, even before they even ask it, it just says, the Lord on my cross, I don't forgive them. They didn't ask for forgiveness, even two days before right. that. And so he said, yeah, Lord, I don't hold that, I forgive. And, and then the point comes later, time passes, and something unfortunate happens to that person. Something bad happens. And then the temptation comes in my mind. Oh, they had it come to you know, right. the Lord finally right. you know, made it bad for them. Right. And that is not forgiveness. Right. That's bitterness. Absolutely. And it's bitterness Lord, revisited. The Lord spoke to me about that. And he said, no, you forgave. You have to wish that person well. You have to feel sorry for that person's situation. And that's the mark in your heart. And no one sees that. That's within your own thought life. And that is for one, one benchmark or one milestone where you can say, you know, yeah, there's no, no, no bitterness in that at all. And I wish that well. You know, we don't forget. I mean, we don't forget. As much as we like to get amnesia, we don't. Uh, but what we, what we need to focus on is we won't allow that to re-enter. And there are things that, you know, we. We can't do a lot if we choose to do that. But we can, we can close the door on bitterness. We can close the door on hurt. We can move on as everybody in this world wants to move on. But they don't realize what they're saying and what their role is in moving on. But the fact is, let's be clear about it. As much as I'd like to forget, I can't. However, I'm not going to dwell on it, and I'm not going to allow it to recycle itself in my life where now it's going to rob me from being where the Lord wants, wants me to be and where I'm needed to be. And that's something that you and I only have the switch on. We can't expect God to handle that switch too. That's something left for us. 
if we don't turn that switch off, it's not going to go off. And I know you're not learning anything new today, but I like to think that we're holding up a mirror more than we're learning something new. And the fact is, you and I have that switch. And it's, it's, sometimes it's pride, it's whatever it is that keeps that switch on. But if it's on because it's a choice, then my whole life purpose is living for that, that switch being on. Do you want to do that? Do you want to do that? Switch it off and go from there. Yes? Um, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. the Lord set an example saying, I will forgive their iniquity and the sin I will remember no more. There's a choice, a decision that's made to not remember. It's hard to forget. Right. There's a choice being made to remember or not. As soon as that thought comes in, like you're saying, put that switch on. Right. You do not have to entertain that thought. That is not from the Lord. Comment in the back. To that, that point of not being able to forget, it's kind of a myth that our memory or our emotion is constant. The fact of the matter is that every time we remember something, we alter it. We remember it differently. We selectively attend to specific things. And, and to think that just because I have a memory, that's never going to go away. No, we won't forget. But that memory can and will change. And the emotions that are tied to that memory can and will change. They may not always be positive ones, but I think it's part of that process of conforming ourselves to God's will and going to Him and saying, am I being realistic with this? Am I being clear with this? I'm having this difficulty. Help me out with this. Because over time, God can help us, can bring to our minds, or use others to bring to our minds, things that maybe we weren't even aware of at the time. And, and the fact is that you know there is that vicious cycle of rehashing the matter. Right. And as we rehash it, we actually skew it even more negatively. But the fact of the matter is if we can kind of broaden our scope and try to think compassionately in the scope of that memory, we can actually change our memory of that event too and the emotions that go along with it. Excellent point. Yes. You stated that forgiveness is not an emotion but a choice, and I agree wholeheartedly. There are times when we forgive and there's feelings of perhaps a lack of peace or a lack of joy or worst case scenario, maybe even a little bit of anger that is, or bitterness. That, a lot of you. Yeah. So how should we deal with, with that? You know, after we've, we've forgiven, um, how do we deal with some of the uh, emotions or things that can, can follow? Um. That's a very good point, and I fail to bring out, perhaps elaborate, that re in reality, um, you employ the help of the Lord. So it's we forgive. It's not, you know, it's in, the, in, it's in that sort of, you know, enhanced strength of the Lord living within us. So it's, it's because of what he did on the cross, that he, that's a continuum on the power of, of a resurrected life. So it isn't me, the individual, that's rendering forgiveness like when I'm ready, but it's because the result of the power of, the, of Jesus living within me through his spirit. So it's, it's not, this doesn't make any sense, but it's not really a singular act in that way because undoubtedly prayer and, and, and having, having uh, gone to the Lord for that, for that ability to do it. I mean, in instances when, you know, you can, someone on an incidentary level say, I'm, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's not a big deal. You've forgiven them, right? It didn't require you to go on your knees and have this soul-searching thing. But for those times in our lives, 
rest assured that we're not doing this on our own. And um, that anger has died. That all of the things that that uh, kept us at bay and kept us hurt and so forth, all those things have been have been mortified and they've been buried. And the freedom comes with being able to to forgive and not have um, all those other things that are attached to that. Yes. For me, there's a, this false perception of of conflict being so negative that it's such a bad thing in and of itself, or it's, a, it's an end in and of itself, and, and it, therefore it's a bad thing. I want to avoid it at all costs. But I think of um, you know the words of Simeon to, to Mary. Even he wasn't saying you're going to be lifted up and praised as you know the mother of God or anything like that. He said there's going to be a sword that pierces through your own heart. And why? that the thoughts and intents of the heart would be revealed. Uh, the rising and falling of many in Israel, Jesus came to bring that. And I think there's, it goes back to like you said, there's so many heart issues that all of us have. I think God often uses conflict almost like a centrifuge to kind of precipitate out some of these issues that we have. If we, you know, so often I try to avoid it. I, I look at it as, oh, it's such a bad thing. But really, I think God is using it often to, um, to precipitate out these things in our hearts. Brother Jimmy. What is the implication in the scriptures when it says as much as life in you that peacefully fall men? What's the implication there? That you've done everything you could. You, if there was a difference maker and it was you, you acted on it. It doesn't mean you're going to succeed 100% of the time, but you're not holding it back. Yeah. Just to answer, to try to answer Brother Robert's question, you know what? When we forgive, it's not just a matter of we've done our legal duty. I've forgiven him, therefore, I'm in God's good books. The reason for forgiving that Christ said that we should forgive each other one reason I believe he, he revealed in the Sermon of the Mount, he said, uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So we should picture ourselves in his or her shoes and say, Well, one day I'm going to need this get out of jail free card. You know, I'm going to need forgiveness. And I'm going to put myself in that person's position and say, How does he or she feel? And so my anger will all of a sudden be deflated. I'm human too, and to err is human, but to, to forgive is divine. So we have to place ourselves in their shoes, not for the sake of, you know, I've done the right thing. If that's the only reason you've done it, to, to think that you're in God's good books, then you haven't done the right thing. You do it for the moral reason of being merciful and being like a child of the Father. He's merciful, we should be merciful. Yes. That in a practical way to apply exactly that is that once we have forgiven someone and the same issue would uh, come up in a conversation or something, that you would go as far and defend that person and, and stick up to them. That's a good point. Yes. When That's part of the we forget, right? Mm-hmm. Why is your home, you know, it, it really, what do we, what do we, what do we do 
you know, you look like you've done. It's not about that. It's really about, like Jesus was saying, you know, God puts these things in our lives to teach us, to grow us, to become more like Him, because He's the ultimate example. That's right. Yes. I have to think of our children and how they are the perfect example of how we need to deal with conflict in our lives. You put a, a room full of uh, six, seven-year-olds, whatever, they will put on a clinic on, on that. And they do forget, by the way. Yes? I, I don't think we should... I, I think there's always going to be conflict in everybody's life with something or someone. And we shouldn't become too consumed by it. Um, I think it's perfectly normal. Um, I think it was Albert Einstein that said peace cannot be obtained by the by power or force but by understanding. So we have to come to the realization that there may be some conflicts in our lives that may not be, be resolved and I don't think we should necessarily feel bad about it. You may have your opinion about something and I may have mine. But it shouldn't define us. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. There's some conflicts, differences, however you want to look at it, uh, that may go unresolved. And there's this notion, let's agree to disagree, but that's not done at, at a lose-lose, necessarily. Um, there's a certain um, elegant way about dealing with that and a brotherly way about dealing with that because we're all, as we heard in our earlier class today, we're all made unique. And part of that uniqueness is going to have certain nuances that go with that. But what we're talking about are fundamental breaches of one's peace and, and, and really how it affects people's lives, spiritually and physically. Uh, these are weapons that uh, um, are not you know, governed under gun laws or any other kinds of armed uh, legislation. These are things that come out of our mouths and our thoughts and our heart. And those are the things that uh, influence the dynamics of a church and why churches split or why families go the way they go and so forth. These are the, these are the things that uh, Jesus um, has preached against. And uh, we, we see that in our time as well. I mean, no one can ignore that. Yes? I was going to say, um, we spoke about the relation between us forgiving others and God forgiving us. And I think what makes it easy for me to forgive others is when I recognize the value of God's forgiveness. That's correct. You know, often, often we think that I can do whatever I want or this isn't a big deal because God will forgive me. And I think that cheapens God's forgiveness thinking that he'll dole it out like, like candy. Right. But in reality, I think that um, when we recognize the value is when we can truly see our, our need for it and forgive others very easily. Exactly. Any last, thought, last thoughts as we are reached our point where uh, we're about ready? Comments have been very good and reflective. Thank everyone for their participation, and God bless.